Romans chapter 12. Last week I titled the message, God's Will and His Servant. For me it was a time and it continues to be a time of reflection and stirring, examination of your heart, your intentions, your motivations, your direction. What are you doing? Are you spinning your wheels or are you seeking something? Are you endeavoring to find something or just drifting along with flow? Because the thing I want to talk about and what this message is about primarily is the will of the Lord. And as I said last week, there is nothing in this life that is more important for you to know than God's will. I don't care what kind of designs, religious aspirations and goals anybody has and the energy spent in seeking those goals. If it's not the Lord's will, it's in vain. Now that doesn't register with the religious world because the religious world has come to a place, and I'll tell you why in a minute, has come to the place where God's way is not necessarily the only way. That he shows me things to do and gives me great ideas, and as I pursue those, God will bless me for doing that. And that isn't necessarily true. Remember the Bible said there is a way which seems to be right. This is where most Christians are. I'm not talking about just a verse that we can all quote. I'm talking about the reality of what is in existence right now with most Christians. There is a way that seems right. And God says, and the way that seems right, if it's not God's way, is a way of death. And who in the world would ever want to admit that this is not a way to life, this is a way to death? Why? Because it's not God's will. This is not what he specifically wants. You're doing something you think is good, but it's not what he wants. Trust me with this. If you're willing to set yourself down in some quiet place where you're not distracted and you're willing to answer those questions and think about that, it'll cause you to be still because you realize that there's nothing for any of us more important than God's will. In Romans 12, he said the first thing you have to do, verse 1, is you have to be willing to submit yourself as a living sacrifice unto God. No hose barred. I am yours. I take my hands off of me. My rights are only your rights. My desire now is to do your will, just like Jesus said in John 5, 6, and 8. It's to do the will of the Lord. That's the primary reason for my existence, to bring pleasure to him. That's his will. That's why we exist on this earth. That's why we're chosen to be Christians. That's why we're here to be taught. That's why we do all the things that we do and all the change that's required to take place in our lives. It's to know God's will. He said, I beseech you, brother, by the mercies of God. He said that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. This is your reasonable service. God is not asking too much. This is what he wants. And he said in verse 2, and be not conformed to this world or be not fashioned to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And for one reason, you think the submission comes first, the aspiration to holiness, the submission to God as whatever he wants is first. You demonstrate that's going to come to pass by the teaching and the entrance of God's word. You receive it. It settles in your heart. Your faith embraces it. You make a decision to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer only, because this is how God reveals to you his will. And think of it, without this process, verse 1 leading to verse 2, how can anybody in Christianity know the will of God. They know things to do because Christianity is a religion of goodness and love and kindness and help. But it's also a way in which there is a cross that every man has to carry, every woman, every person. And the cross 
is given for everybody to crucify the flesh with its affections and its lust and all of its desires. You put it all on the cross and you seek first the kingdom of God and his right ways and God will bless you. Now, we said that last week, that this is where we begin. It's a choice I make to surrender to God. If I want to know his will, there's one way. My mind has to be renewed. I have to disconnect from the old ways of thinking and accept a new way of thinking. His way becomes my way. There is no other way. For any other way is the way of death. Now, to back that up, we said concerning his will in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13, it says that God is at work in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And they're not only to show you what his will is, but to encourage you and make you want to do his will and to do whatever he wants. That's why he saved us, to be his vessels so that he is, the old preachers, you say, though, so he can tabernacle in us, walk in us, live in us, so that it's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. It's this Christian life. This is what he wants. God is working in you to do that. And then we said in Hebrews 13, 21, that God would make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. Think of it. This is what God is doing. The entrance of his words are no more than words until they are revealed to what they mean. When you begin to see what God is saying, when you begin to behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, the process of change begins to take place because you see what you've never seen. And this is what God works in you to do, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. And in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9, would you look at that one again this morning? Colossians 1 and verse 9. He said, for this cause, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of what? That you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing." being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power and to all patience and long-suffering and joyfulness. Everything there is a design of God for us, worked in us to be revealed through us. Christians living a life that exemplifies what God is doing. Are we not to be followers of Christ? Are we not to walk in his steps? Is he not the one we aspire to grow up into in all things, the measure, the stature, the fullness? This is what we're here for. And yet we don't want to take our hands off of our wills. We don't want to take our hands off of our dreams and our goals and our getting and going and having and doing and being. We like to think that our efforts are worth a good Hearty pat on the back. And yet, remember in Luke chapter 17 and verse 10 last week, it said, when you have done all the things that are commanded you, not suggested, but when you have done those things that are commanded you, say this, that we are unprofitable servants, for we have only done what we were given to do, the will of God. Nobody in this room can discover the will of God without the aid of God or his help. And when God reveals his will to you, that is the one supreme thing that you can do now to please God. This is the way you please God. And so when he shows you something, maybe in your home, maybe your marriage, maybe it's money or raising children or other things, when he shows you his way, that's what he wants. And that's one of the things that Christians have a hard time doing. Because again, as I'll get to in a minute, how can this be? Why would he do that? Why would it say that? 
like tongues. That doesn't make any sense. And so instead of doing it, accepting it, they draw back and turn from it. And consequently, we're given as Christians to wandering, walking through life, trying something new, see if that'll work. Maybe starting a this or doing a that, and maybe that'll work. When all along, the thing that enhances and brings joy and peace to the heart and the life is doing the Father's will. That's what puts a smile on the face of Jesus, is just knowing that I am in the very center of his will. It's what makes us at peace with God, knowing that we're doing exactly what he showed us. We're not trying to do something else. We just want to do whatever the Lord said. Now, an unprofitable servant, a servant or a slave has no rights. He just simply does what he's told to do. A slave cannot go to this overlord or his master, whatever you'd call him, and say, hey, uh, I'm going into town tonight. It's been a long week. I'm going to take a night off, okay? He can't do that. He has no rights to do that. Now, he has, if you're a Christian, God is good to you. He gives you breaks, but no man has the right to tell God what he wants to do and what he doesn't want to do. He has only the right to listen to what God wants him to do, and it's always good. It always leads to goodness. It always brings about in the end of this walk or somewhere in this walk as you begin to discover the benefits of being in his will. I mean, you have peace and joy. You may not have all the money you want, may not be able to do this or have that or go, but boy, you're at peace with God. Money can't buy that. I'll tell you something else again. Busyness can't buy it. Going somewhere, doing something different and unique can't make it happen. It is simply you hearing what he wants and a reservation of your will, which belongs to him, but you're responsible to use. You just give that to God and begin to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Now, question for this morning. How is it then that man down through the ages has become so vain, has become so criminal? How is it that when a man in the Garden of Eden, when God made Adam and Eve... He made them as not only innocent creatures, I don't know if they would call them perfect yet, they hadn't been tested, but he made two individuals in an environment of perfection, without flaw, totally innocent, not knowing good from evil, didn't need to. There wasn't any such thing. Everything was perfect. Now, how did we go from that to the situations in the world today and to the, the grief and the sorrow the misery, the uncertainty, the disappointments, the sadness. How has man come to that? It shouldn't have been that way. It didn't have to be that way. It didn't begin that way. But it is that way now. We're all used to it. Evil has affected everybody in this room. There is nobody that has escaped the sentence of death in, in this life. For the wages of sin is death. And all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all transgressed God. We fell short. We overshot the mark, whatever you want to call it. As far as transgression, we went beyond or didn't get there, depending on how you read it. How did it happen? Let's go back this morning to the garden. Something I want to show you. In Genesis chapter 3, now that's way back in the beginning. Almost where it tells you how we got the King James Bible, that part. Now it begins with the serpent. You see, he was already here. Never talks about him being created, but it does talk about him falling from heaven. You remember that. Jesus once told his disciples, but they were, boy, look what I can do. Look what I've done. He said, you know, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. He fell for the same reason because he wanted to exalt himself. And he was a beautiful cherubim that covered, but he fell because of his pride. He said, you better be careful. That's why he said, you know, when you have faith to move mountains and you move the mountains, just remember, you're still an unprofitable servant. You get no pat on the back. You've only done what you were supposed to do. I led 20,000 to the Lord. You're supposed to. 
Well, I spent 20 years, 30 years on the missionary field and I did. You were supposed to. I mean, I'm, that's it? Yep, that's it. The one that did everything good that ever happens anywhere in your life or anybody's life was God. He gets the glory. Isaiah 42, he said he won't share his glory with anybody. Make sure he gets it. You're an instrument in his hands, are we not? We are vessels of his choosing to do his bidding on this earth. God uses people. Most always, he uses people. And the people he can use are those who hear and do. They're doers of the word and not just hearers only. They're the ones that do his, his will. But anyway, Genesis 3, he said, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, then she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband who was with her and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed leaves together and made themselves aprons. I guess we know that story by heart. Maybe can't quote verse by verse, but we know that pretty much by heart. Here's what the Apostle Paul said in the New Testament about what we just read about the temptation of Adam and Eve. He said in 2 Corinthians 11, he said, But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, his cleverness, that your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. You can be sure that every genuine and real life-robbing temptation that will come to you comes through your mind. The devil appeals to your thinking. That's where he starts, a thought. That's what Paul said. He said, I fear lest by any means as the devil beguiled Eve, so your mind's. I don't know who you listen to. I don't know who's talking to you. I don't know who your choice of friends are, what you read, or what kind of influences you allow in your life. But you need to be careful. All of us do. We're warned about that in the Bible. Another verse that Paul writes, he said, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman, being deceived, was in the transgression. We're pointed back to this as a time that something happened that we need to take stock of so that the same thing doesn't happen to us. But what happened back there in the garden has affected all of the world, all of civilizations from that day to this very hour. People are still being affected by what happened back there. We say, well, what happened back there? Well, not only did Satan beguile Eve, but in beguiling Eve or in tempting her, successfully tempting her, and luring her away from her dependence on God, he brought her into a place where her dependence was on herself. She turned from him to her, just like we do. Just like when we hear things we don't want to hear, we reject it. I don't want that. Because the rule of self is the master of people's lives. It keeps men from serving the Lord the way they're supposed to. See, the only instruction God gave to Adam and Eve was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of that tree. Now, there were two trees in the garden. But this one, he said specifically, do not eat of the fruit of that tree. When you live in the bliss that God has created, you don't need to have your, on, on your mind anything that's evil and then try to work your way with goodness to please God. Don't eat of that tree. You don't need that. 
And so, that's what the devil uses. You only need one law to have sin. The strength of sin is the law. There could never have been a sin or a transgression in this world if there had not have been one rule or one law. All the devil needs to throw us aside is one thing that we can do or that we should not do that would displease God. That's all he needs. And then the temptation is to do what you shouldn't do. Whether it's to watch, to eat, to look, to drink, to think, to go. And we caved in, all of us, we caved into the very same thing. And this is here for us not only to be warned, but to examine ourselves about it. I mean, how easy it is to assume that we're all right. Look how far we've come. How many years we've been here? A hundred? Surely we say in the expression of our wisdom, surely we're good enough. Surely we've come far enough. Surely we're going to heaven. Surely if anybody, because we estimate ourselves in light of what we've done. And when we go back and look at the word and all these thou shalts and things that we don't like to hear, we don't like to entertain those thoughts because we fall a little short of them. Didn't Jesus say to the Pharisees, he said, you know, you tithe mint and and dill and cumin and all. He said, you're very exacting in all of your keeping the law. But you've left out a lot of things. You've done what pleases you and made you feel good about what you've done at the expense of everything else in the word. He had no credit ever for the fair. Never, ever. They were the huge, great corruptors of the age. He said when they would make a proselyte, when they would make a convert and they got done with him, he was twice the child of hell that they were. He constantly warned his disciples about that kind of religion. And we embrace it today because it's the loving thing to do. And we don't realize that you can embrace death and not even realize it. See, Eve listened to logic and reason. She began to reason within herself, just like we do. When sin has its full measure of effect in our life, this is the way it works. She began to reason within herself. See, reason or being rational is a doctrine that says that man doesn't need God to learn about godly things. That he is able in and of himself. There's a power within a human being to know and become all that he needs to know and all that he needs to become. He doesn't need any help from God. What did he say to Eve? First thing he said was, hath God said that you don't have to do this? You don't have to wear the head covering, wash feet, or speak in tongue? Oh, you don't have to do that? That's not what he meant. Come on. And so if we start thinking maybe that's not what he meant, I promise you Christians won't do it. He said, hath God said? Is that really what he meant, Eve? You've heard this before. You really think you're going to die? You're not going to die. Let me give you some advice. God knows that the day that you eat of that fruit, you'll be like him. Sure you will. You'll be like God's. You won't need to stand and listen to what somebody tells you to do. You can be your own person. You can do your own thing. You can be as good as anybody else, and nobody has a right to tell you what to do because you know what to do in your own wisdom. I think he mentions the word wisdom, doesn't he? He said, you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. You won't need somebody to tell you what to do. You can do what you think is right. Isn't that what's happened to Christianity? You don't have to answer. I'll answer it for you. Of course it is. Man hasn't liked the way God wants to do things. If you keep doing the same, it starts to get old and you get a little bored with it. Christians do. And so there's a voice that says, come on, there's more to this than what we're doing. 
I mean, it's good to learn things, but come on, not every week. So he's given an alternative. Instead of just staying with God, as Jesus did, instead of just staying under the spout where the glory comes out, the devil could not lure Jesus away from his commitment to God. He could not entice him to embrace something different and something new than what he had been shown. And he would not yield to that. He died because of it. He was rejected. People beat him and cursed him. Eventually killed him because he would not leave what he committed himself to. But we will. Because we cannot imagine how that being a Christian could cost you so much. Suffer. Peter writes about the suffering according to God's will. And we as dignified, intelligent, advanced Christians in this age of modern science and technology, how could that be? We're smarter than that. We're smarter than this old ancient copied and recopied word. All of these things in this book aren't exactly true. A whole lot of what's in the Bible is a myth. It's a fabricated story that somebody wrote one time. And, and as we read this as modern Christians, we're not supposed to take all of these like the miracles, the Red Sea and the tomb coming out of the tomb and the virgin birth. You know, those are stories that tell us about the, the possibilities of God. They're not intended for us to look at that and make a doctrine out of it. Come on. You know what the devil does when he talks to people like that? And there's some people he can really talk to like that. He's telling you, don't depend on God for what's right and wrong. You can find out for yourself. You don't need for God to tell you what's right and wrong. I mean, come on. Don't just submit yourself to these same old, same olds. God didn't mean that. It's verse 4. God didn't mean that. You're not going to die. In fact, he said, eat. Eat of this fruit. Come on, do your own thing. Be yourself. Don't be a wimp all your life. And see if you won't be like God. You'll know the difference between right and wrong. You'll know the difference between good and evil. And you know what she did? She did what Judas did. Remember John 13, I may update you on Judas. And the Lord washed the feet in the Last Supper. It tells us in that time that Judas had been asked by those who wanted to kill Jesus to point out which one of these people is Jesus. They weren't real religious people, you know. Which one of these guys is Jesus? We don't attend his meeting. We're not interested in him. We think he's a sham anyway. He needs to be judged of God, as Isaiah 53 said. He was smitten and afflicted of God, and we esteemed him, and so forth. He said, so we don't think much of him. So which one is he? He said, we'll offer you 30 pieces of silver. It's just something to think about. Something to think about. And so Judas is sitting there thinking about it. 30 pieces of silver. I've been walking around, traveling around, I've been ministering. Maybe laying my hands, these hands of Judas on the sick, they recovered. Maybe seeing people get right or whatever he did, whatever they went out two by two, cast out devils. But I never got 30 pieces of silver. Man. So what did Judas do? He thought about it until he made a decision. And the Bible said in John 13, verse 20-something, it says, and the devil entered into Judas. He came in. How could a devil come into a person? Apparently, it wasn't very hard. All he needs is your permission. And your permission is by his suggestion. And his suggestion becomes your desire. And when your desire becomes a devil's desire, it's no longer God's desire, and you got a new master in your life. And when he comes in, he comes in to kill and to steal 
and destroy. And I guarantee you that the moment Adam and Eve ate of that fruit, they were terrified. Everything changed. They'd never known fear in their life, hiding from God. They'd never known that they were naked. And suddenly that's not right. They just inherently knew that that's not right. If they'd lived the day, they'd be shocked. They had to cover themselves. And then they hid from God. And they knew why they should be scared. Because they knew they violated his word. They transferred their faith and reliance and dependence on God. And what he showed them, they let go of that to do something that was suggested to them that would make them better. And it only made them worse. All we like sheep had gone astray. Every one of us was destined to an honest, righteous judgment of death. Every one of us. A righteous God has been violated. We turn from God and his way to do our own thing. And then we sort of assume that he had to forgive us because I said, Art, I'm sorry. That's our way of religion. We made God the way we want God to be. We made God out to be like us. We do our own thing and and don't realize that we're living death. We're living dead, I said. And we were all without hope and without God in this present world. And the only hope we had was that Jesus would finish his course and stay in God's will. And he did. Thank God he was able, as you know, to offer himself without spot to God. And on the basis of your faith in Jesus, God brings you back, restores you, forgives you all your sins. And your major problem now is that your mind, which was trained by the world, keeps wanting to stay away from God and go back and do the old things and Why? Well, it doesn't make sense. Well, how come? And that's our biggest battle. We hear the word of God. And we say, well, the head covering. Well, why would you have to? I mean, what? I don't know about that. You know about that. You don't have to figure out what that means. Just read what it said. That's what it said. Now, it only remains for your faith in it. That's all it takes. It puts you on the side of God. I'm going to side with God in this. I'm going to believe what he said is right. I'm going to do what he said. And all these other things. Well, you look silly with that pothole on your head. You know that? I mean, if somebody as cute as you are, that is really out of touch. It doesn't make sense. I don't know of any other Christian church in the world that does that. I don't know very many either. You think that makes it right? Absolutely not. What is right in the eyes of God is not what people are doing. It's what he says to do. People do whatever they want to because they lured into that thing of self-centered life, self-sufficiency, self-serving. No wonder Jesus said, if that doesn't go to the cross, you won't make it. Didn't he say this in John 14? Unless you crucify your flesh, you will not make it. The biggest enemy you've got is self. And self is centered in your thinking, in your mind. You're thinking wrong. God himself said, your thoughts are not my thoughts. And look at your way you live. Your ways are not my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts than your thoughts. Your thinking has to change. I saved you without giving you a new brain. The mind of Christ is in you. Don't hinder it. Don't quench what he wants. Because your mind is designed by the world to question everything that God says. Your teachers taught you that. Probably your parents, everybody you ran around with, all the religious discussions you ever had always made God a question mark. Now you come to God and all those things come back in front of you and said, this is the way, walk ye in it. And so you ask yourself, am I doing that? I know I can preach this, and I know I can say all of this. I know you'll hear all this, and you've heard all this. Is this really what I'm doing, or is this just what I'm saying? 
Is this what we are doing or is it just what we're hearing? Let's go hear it again. Yeah, I've heard that. Let's go hear it again. What good is it to hear anything if something or somebody can talk us out of doing it and doing something else? The only way a man in this life can please God, the only way you can please God is by faith. Isn't that right? Faith is a choice. It's an action to do what God says and to count on God for results. That's all he gives you. He gives you a word in a crazy, evil world. He gives you his word, period, first. That's all you got. This is what he said. And you say, well, that's what I need. That's what I want. And the devil said, do you really think he'll do that? You really think he'll heal you? Look at all the people that aren't getting healed. Look at all the situations that are not working. They're getting prayed for, aren't they? Aren't they getting prayed for? They're not any better, are they? Where do you suppose those questions come from? And it's a unique person today who can say, you know, I don't care what happens to anybody or everybody. I know in whom I have believed. I can't explain all the catastrophes, but I can believe what he's showing me. And what he's showing me is a choice that I'm making. And I'm not willing to be moved away from it. And if he said he would, he will. He can't lie. That's dependence on God for results. You can't make results come. You can't cause results to come. All you can do is depend on God, and that's what faith does. It's counting God to be faithful. It is counting on God to do what he said. I can't make him do it. I look at the situations I want to change. I want to weep. I want to cry. I want to quit. I want to quit and get away from it. Go somewhere else. And sit where you're sitting. I can't change it. I can't affect. There's nothing, no power in me that can just stop stuff and make it work. All I can do is come back where I was brought years ago and we're continually being brought back to the word. And I hear something all the time. Half of God said, have you missed it? You think we missed it somewhere? It's not working. I think, you know what? I can't speak for you. I've got my own testimony. I was born again in 1968. And here we are some, what, 44 years later. It worked for me. And I was as vile. And I don't want to, I'm ashamed of all this. I was as vile as anybody in this room. Plus I added Sunday school to it. And yet... God, who sees the hearts and who knows the hearts and the motivations, the thoughts and the intentions of the heart, he knows where you are. He knows what you're struggling with. Remember, there is in the Godhead today a human experience. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So he knows what it's like in the days of his flesh. Jesus knew what it was like to suffer, to be rejected, to be ousted and put out. He knows what it's like to look at misery and suffering. He's been there. And he brings us with this revelation that we all are aware of about Adam and Eve. And the words of the devil to lure you away from Come on, you got to enjoy life. I mean, you can't just spend all your time. He takes you, the devil tries to lure you away from your allegiance, your dedication, your consecration, the submitting of your entire life to God. He wants to take you away from that and give you logical, reasonable ways to do it another way. And then he brings in rationalism. Well, after all, I mean, you are a person and you do have a mind and you do know some things that you can do. I mean, surely God would accept that, wouldn't he? And so you begin thinking like that, just like Eve thought like that, just like Judas thought like that, just like we thought like that. Well, come on, honey, we're going to get married anyway, aren't we? 
Huh? I mean, we're, we love each other anyway. Don't, are we going to get married anyway? Where do you suppose that kind of stuff comes from? You're sitting here, you listen to this for 15 or 20 years, and you give way to that cheap shot one time. I don't know if you've listened to anything in your whole life. God didn't give you the freedom to do anything different than what he said. If he said to keep yourself pure, he means keep yourself pure. If he says not cause people to stumble, don't cause people to stumble. Quit being so weak. He said you were strong in the Lord and the power of his might. That's still his will. That's the will of God. Don't cave into all this other stuff. Because the devil is constantly chipping and talking and carrying on and whatever he can. You see, without dependence on God in this life, there is only dependence on man. His medicines, his inventions, his banks, his laboratories. Man has created his own little world. And he said, you know, this is all you got. And we try. We can't fix anything. We can't fix everything. We can't solve all problems. But we're here to help you. And you say, well, I'm just going to trust the Lord. You know what they often say? You're a fool. You're a fool. Trust the Lord. For what? Your life? It's not mine. It's his. Whatever belongs to him is his. He can fix it. Well, how are you going to have your house? Or, you know, I'm not even sure that that's in my program right now. I'm not going to say if he, if he wants me to have a house, he'll give me one. Because there's no faith in that. But if I see where he gives houses and so forth, then I'll say that I claim one. I've, I've done that. And he did. I know it works. I know it works. I don't know everything. I know very little of what is there to be known. I know very, very little. But it's, you know, the little bit that we know is like children's bread. Just a crumb. Look how we've been released up to this point from all the things that used to entangle us and hold us down. Look how we've been released from it with a morsel. And boy, and think when we begin to chomp on the whole bread. Oh, praise God. But the problem of man is that man is turned from his dependence on God to his dependence on man. He trusts in man. He dies with man's blessings. And he does not know because churches do not preach it anymore that God has a better way. Because as far as most people know, most preachers know, they're just like the world. You know, God could and he's able and we know he has, but he probably won't. Look around, who's he done it for? So don't get your hopes up. And yet there's a few that emerge away from all that and say, I rebuke all of that in Jesus' name. I know in whom I have believed, and I know that he is able to do exceeding abundantly above and beyond all that I ask or think because he can cause all grace to abound towards me that I always, having all sufficiency in all things, can abound to every good work. Amen. To his glory. Right. Not my praise. His glory is a testimony that this is what he does. He's done it, and he's doing it. But all oh, the devil and too many people's friends, 11 that you call friends. Yeah, well, I wonder how many divorces have taken place in this life because of leaven. Hanging around people who are so departed from God. All they can talk about is the negative things in their marriage, and that negativity brings, you know, some of that stuff has happened to you. Next thing you know, you're influenced by that negativity until you become like them. That's the devil's work. That's how he does it, with suggestions and thoughts and in his mind. Listen to these words. Let me read some scripture to you. Just, you don't have to turn to any of these. I copied them all down so I wouldn't have to have you turn to them. Listen to this. Just follow me. 
This is the birth of religion, man's way of approaching God. Okay? Now, the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to what? Seducing spirits and doctrines inspired by the devil. They're laced with the Bible. Christian themes are all throughout it, but the end effect of what they're teaching is to turn you from dependence on God to the system or to man or the ways of the world. That's a departure from the faith. And it's happening not because you're out drinking and running around. It's happening while you're singing hymns. You've made up your mind. I'm not going to go that direction. I'm not going to do that. That bothers me. I'm scared to do that. I'm going to go to another church where they don't believe that. You just killed yourself. If that's what the other church does, listen to this. Not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. Why would he write that if that wasn't true? Not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. Because they have a better way they see what the Bible was trying to say. They got a better way of saying it. Read some of the newer translations. Another verse. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and be turned aside unto fables. Fables. Muthos. A Greek word from which we get the word myths. Or again, as I said earlier, fabrications. Made up stories. It's in the Bible. Prophesy to us smooth things. Prophesy illusions. Make up stuff. Jeremiah said, the priests rule by their own means and they do this and do that. And he said, and my people love to have it so. The last two verses of Jeremiah 5. And my people love this because they have already made a decision that, that God is just a starting point. But what's really important is that you get with it and get updated with a new way of doing things. So they have turned away their ears from the truth and shall be turned aside unto fables. Here's another one. And through covetousness, this is 2 Peter 2, and through covetousness they shall with feigned words make merchandise of you. You, which in verse 15, have forsaken the right way and are gone astray. That's the only way the devil can, can get you is to turn you away and go his way, and then you're snared. You're still religious. You can still sing your song. You still feel good. But the direction of your life is all crisscrossed. It's wrong. And how ugly that must sound, what I just said. But again, there is a way. There is a way which seems to be right. Why would you say it seems to be right? Well, look what we're doing. I mean, we're doing we're this and that. We're trying here. We're trying there. I mean, uh, this is man. It couldn't be wrong. Our best efforts could not be wrong. Come on. And yet God said, your ways are not my ways. Your designs are not my designs. The end of your ways is death. But Lord... We've worked miracles in your name. We've been in the streets preaching to people. We've cast out devils, Lord. We've been busy. All and you know what Jesus said? We used this last week, Matthew 7, 21 through 23. He said, I never knew you. Outside of God's will, you got no relationship to God. He said, not everybody that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but who will then? Don't be afraid to say it. Who will? Those that do the will of God. Teach me thy will, O God. What else do I have without it? Nothing. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding in all your ways. Can you? In all your ways. Me, I'm talking to me as much as you. Can you acknowledge this as God? 
This is the influence of God. I am doing his bidding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. And what will he do? He will direct your steps. How can you know anything without his will? Not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, should enter the kingdom, but he that doeth the will of my Father who is in heaven. And Jesus said, and yet many will say, well, Lord, that's not fair. That's not right. Look what we did. Look at our works. We deserve your favor. And Jesus will say, I never knew you. Because, see, you don't have a relationship with God without his will. You have an acknowledgement of God. You have a concept of God, but you don't have a relationship. Because a relationship is, he says, I do. It's a new race of people called the hedendus. They heed and they do. Now, let me ask you a question, a theological question. If sin has brought all this misery and difficulty in the world, then why did God allow sin? Why did he permit sin in the first place? Does he not know the end from the beginning? Now, before you say God permits and God allows, that's an interesting subject. Let me just remind you that to allow something is to consent to something. And if you ask yourself, did God consent to sin? Did he say it's okay? Now, don't answer because you might be wrong. Consent means to sanction. Sanction is an authorization. Did God authorize sin? Did he say, okay, it's time for sin now. I want you all to sin. Did he sanction sin? Then how did man sin? Now, wait a minute. Listen to me. If he did not sanction or consent to it, did not promote it or authorize it, then how in the world did it happen? Well, father has a son. He could have a daughter, lives in the country. I'm using myself. The son gets his driver's license, and he wants to go to a friend's house in town to study for a test the next day. He asks his father, I want to go to town to my friend's house to study for a test. Can I drive the car? Who does the car belong to? The father. Now, when the father says, yes, you may drive the car, does he consent to that? Does he sanction his son driving his car? Say yes, it's okay. I'm not trying to trick you. Does the father allow the son to drive the car? Okay, the son makes, the father says, now let me tell you something. Before you get in there and go, one rule. Do not eat of the tree of the, I mean, uh, wait a minute. Do not break the speed limit. Don't go over 55 miles an hour. Well, I might add two of them. And don't pick up anybody and run around town. Let me add three. And be home. Be home by 930. That's summertime dark. Now, if you want to drive the car, those are the conditions. You want to drive? Yes, sir. Now, the son gets in the car. Does he have permission to drive the car? Yes. He can't do anything with it he wants to, can he? But he can drive the car. Driving down the road, he hears a thought. Well, it's a nice car, isn't it? Yeah. I wonder how fast it'll go. All the men are laughing because, yeah, I've been there. I wonder how fast it'll go. And something says, well, push that little thing on the floor down there and let it go. Let's just see what it'll do. Oh, no, we're not supposed to eat it. I mean, we're not supposed to break the speed limit. So this voice says, well, how in the world are you ever going to know what you're driving and how to handle it if you don't know what it'll do? You've got to acclimate yourself to the car, man, and the conditions and all of that. I mean, come on, be, do it. No, my daddy said I'm not supposed to. Oh, your daddy, daddy, little boy. That's a put down any youngster. So he thinks about it, just like Eve did. He looks in the mirror. That's the first giveaway. He looks in the mirror. Is anybody behind me? He looks in both other mirrors, nobody back there. Road's clear ahead. 
Ain't nothing between me and that throttle on the floor but my manhood and doubt and unbelief. So he hits the throttle. Whoa, whoa, he takes off. Wow, he says. Man, this thing will really go. Now, let me ask you a question. Did God permit that? Did that father allow him to do that? Then how did he do it? Did the father consent to his going 70 miles an hour with a smile on his face? What he didn't expect was at the end of the stretcher, there was a car come out of a blind driveway, and he slams on the brake, goes to the ditch, tears the car up, but he doesn't hit the other car, and he wrecks his father's car. Now it's destroyed. Let me ask you something. Did the father allow that? Did he consent to that? Did the father say to the son, you are authorized to wreck my car? Don't drive over 55, but if you do, I consent to that. Did he? No. Permission in the sense that God did not stop it is acceptable. Is there anything that God cannot do? No. Could he have kept Eve from eating that fruit? Could he have stopped her? Could he have caused her to turn into a pillar of salt? There's a lot of ways he could have prevented and stopped that, but he did not. And in that sense, he did permit her to sin. He doesn't praise any of us for the wreck that our lives became. He doesn't praise us for violating the very thing we've been taught and we know is right. He that knows to do right and does it not, to him it's sin. He knew that. What happened here? We got a revelation that God made man with a moral choice. Human beings that have never been tested and never been put to the test. They're perfect in their stature and all of this, but they're untested and unproven. There's been never a reason to be proven. And the devil comes along and what does he do? He lures them away from dependence on God and what he said to eating, beginning by looking and then doing the tree. And the moment he did, he became the master of their life and began this death process for they all, just like us, we're all dying. The human body every day is closer to death than it was the day before. All because of sin. And while God did not give a consent to or a sanction this wreck and all of that, what he did was allow the son to prove his character, didn't he? All of us parents want to have children that we can depend on. All of us as parents want all of our children to prove that they're responsible so we can give them the freedoms that they want. But if they're not responsible, if they, they're hateful acting, disobedient, sassy and all of that, they're not to be trusted. Because if the devil can make them like that in front of you, what are they like apart from you? But when they're submissive and they're nice and polite and kind and respectful to you, it's easy to give them freedoms. How do you know what your child will do? You don't. How did Eve know what she would do or Adam? They didn't, but they found out. God wants from his people, not little mechanical things that can only do right because God makes them do right and cannot do wrong because God won't let them do wrong. He could, but God simply puts you in a vile place in this world. He, Jesus said, Lord, don't take them out of the world, but keep them from the world from the evil one. And here we're walking through this nasty world and it is nasty and unclean. It is vile and it is filthy. And all these attractions of filth and vileness that come to people and their children through all the methods and means that it comes, the media, the books, the magazines, whatever. God wants us to hold fast to what he said, shut our eyes like Proverbs says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look upon a maid. I want to keep myself clean because keeping myself clean keeps me under his spout where his glory comes out and his power and his might is not suspended, but it's active in my life. 
But God wants creatures that are willing to, not only when they take the test, but to not give in. Jesus, look at here. Look at all these kingdoms in the world. Look, Jesus. Look at all these kingdoms. The Bible said, by one man's disobedience, as Adam, many were made sinners, and by one man's righteousness, that's Jesus, many were made righteous. Jesus obeyed the Father. The word, it means to stay under, to hear, to listen under. That's the way I understand it. Obedience is to listen, to hear, and obviously to do. And what's the spirit of this age do? In Ephesians chapter 2, it said, we were all children of disobedience once. Disobedience is a word uh, for believe with an A in front of it. Instead of being persuasible, convinced people to do what God said, we become unconvinced because something draws us away. Your opinions, your ideas, your views, it's all inspired of the devil when it doesn't agree with God. All of it. So, in closing, having said all of that, what is it the Lord wants? Turn to John 12, and we'll see if we can close. John chapter 12. If any man serve me, and remember, we title this message, his will and his servant. If any man will serve me. This is what he said. If any man will serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man will serve me, what? Him will my father honor. Does your Bible say that? Does everybody in here this morning, those of you that are watching, do you want God to honor you? Do you want him to honor your children? Do you want him to honor your family? Do you want to know that as you come to the end of your life that the honor of God is with you, that he has kept you, sustained you, blessed you, prevented you, and he can? He has done all the things he said he would do, that he in this way has honored your life, you're honored your faith? Of course you would. Then it comes down to a choice, a final choice. Because everybody in this room lives by choices. That's just the way of life. That's why we choose to do right or we choose to do wrong, but it's our choice. And in closing, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 30. And this is our close. Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 19. This is the way it ended in the time of Moses. These are the words that we could read for ourselves today. I call heaven and earth to record this day. God said that I have set before you life and death, just as I believe he has in a very small way this morning. I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, what? Choose life. Didn't he say that? Can I? Is it the will of the Lord that I choose life? What would keep me from choosing life? The fact that I cannot depend on God to do it. I'm not convinced he will. Therefore, I acknowledge the Bible says that. I'm in agreement with what the, the statement's made in the Bible, but I can't practice it because I'm not convinced. And there's no life in that. A lot of good-sounding phrases, very religious, but it's death. Maybe that's hard for some people to imagine. Maybe it's hard to say, but it's the truth. Choose you between life and death, blessings or curses. 
Did not Joshua say, choose this day whom you're going to serve? Joshua 24, didn't he say choose? Were you going to serve the gods over here that we've just come over here and captured these people and all this vile lifestyle they had? You want to be like that? Choose that. But it's for me and my house. We're going to choose the Lord because I can. God gave me that and that is what is put to the test and that is what wins the battles. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus. May your blessing rest upon each of us this morning with a sense of convictions. May the design of your spirit upon us this morning be to bring us into a knowledge and understanding of your word with a heart that is convinced that you can be trusted, you are to be trusted, and I will trust you. Lord, our life depends on it. And I ask you to bless those that hear not to believe what I've said, but to believe what you've said. And I ask you to bless them with all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? God is good, isn't he? Amen. Obey my voice and I shall be my people and walk in all the ways that I've commanded you that it may be well with you and I will be your Shall be my people. Obey my voice, and I will be your God. You shall be my said, Amen. Amen.